During the tribulation, many will come to Christ because of just two witnesses. Meanwhile, there's an urgent need for many more. Are you qualified? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah considers the critical importance of witnessing, not only after the rapture, but here and now as well. Continuing the series, Signs, here's David to introduce the conclusion of his message, The Two Witnesses. Well, thank you for joining us today. Yesterday, I introduced to you the resource for the month of May. It's a really special book uh, conceived by a friend of mine who said, we should write a book for people who won't be going to heaven in the rapture, but will still be on this earth and wondering what's going to take place. So we did. We went back into all of the prophetic things that we've done over the years, and we strategized this book called After the Rapture. It has chapter titles including What on Earth Just Happened, What's Next, How Bad Will It Get, Who is the Antichrist, Don't Take the Mark If It's Too Late, What Are We Waiting For, Life Applications, And uh, you can share this book with unsafe friends, and you can ask them to consider what it will be like on this earth after all of the Christians have gone to heaven. It is something that will make people stop and think. And I believe people will come to Christ because of this book. The gospel is everywhere in the book itself. Once again, it's brand new, right off the press. It's called After the Rapture. And you can get your copy for a gift of any size during the month of May. Ask for it when you send your gift today. So here is part two of The Two Witnesses from Revelation chapter 11. Right before the Old Testament concludes in the fourth chapter of Malachi, we read these words, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Malachi says that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, which begins at the three and a half period of tribulation, God is going to send Elijah. It is probable that this is what he was talking about. Elijah would come back to the earth to witness for God himself. It's also interesting to put together some other facts. Do you know that Elijah was miraculously taken up to heaven in the Old Testament? Remember that story? Elijah's already been raptured once. He was swished up into heaven by Almighty God. And the Bible tells us that Elijah on one occasion withheld rain from the earth and announced that the Rain would not come on this earth for three and a half years. He did that during his life. He's going to do it again in the tribulations we shall see in a few moments. Elijah also called down fire from heaven. The two witnesses used fire to defend themselves. And the length of both the drought in Elijah's day and the ministry of the two witnesses is three years and six months. I can't prove this for a fact. I wouldn't want to die on any hill for this, but I believe the first witness is Elijah. There are many things that make us believe that. And then the second witness, sometimes people say it's Enoch, and everybody's got an idea about the second witness. But I would like to suggest to you that the second witness is Moses. First of all, Moses appeared with Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. So they've appeared together already since their human death, and now they've come back at the Transfiguration. What would prevent them from coming back during the Tribulation? 
Also, God gave Moses the ability to turn the water into blood. Remember that? When the witnesses give the same power in the New Testament, it's reflective of on the plagues that came upon Egypt when Moses turned the water into blood in Egypt. You remember that story? And we also know that God had preserved Moses' body so that he would be restored. The bodies of the witnesses will be restored as well. And the Bible tells us that Satan contended with Michael, the archangel, for the body of Moses. Many people believe that that was to keep Moses from being able to do this last thing that would happen in the tribulation. And as you study the Bible, Moses and Elijah stand for the law and the prophets. And since the ministry of the witnesses will be in Jerusalem to the Jewish nation, what two more powerful witnesses could God send to call them to repentance than Elijah the prophet and Moses the lawgiver, two of the most prominent and important people in Israel's history? I believe that during that period of time, for three and a half years, Almighty God sent Elijah and Moses back to this world to preach the judgment of God to the nation of Israel. The Bible tells us of their prophecies. Verse 3 says, I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days. You get an idea of their prophecy when you read in this verse that they are clothed in sackcloth. That's a special clothing for someone who is in mourning. The sackcloth was put on by Jacob when he thought that Joseph, his son, was dead. David put on sackcloth when he heard of Abner's murder. The Bible says these two men will be dressed in mourning. And now the Bible tells us about their power. Once again, Revelation chapter 11. I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. The Spirit of God is going to give Moses and Elijah, the two witnesses, special power. First of all, the power of their preaching. Never will men preach like these two men preached. I mean, I can't imagine what their sermons would be like. How many of you have ever heard a really, really, really fiery sermon? Anybody ever hear a sermon like that? Many of us grew up in churches where we heard them every week, right? Whether we liked it or not. Well, I don't know what the sermon's going to be like, but a writer on the book of Revelation by the name of William R. Newell has guessed that it might be something like this. They will say that the Lord Jesus Christ, who has been rejected, is the Lord of all the earth. They will say, as Jehovah, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. They will testify of human wickedness right to the faces of the wicked men themselves. They will testify of the character of the judgments just passed, and they will tell of the judgments that are to come. If you'd be sitting in the congregation listening to the two witnesses, you might have a visceral emotional response to it. I remember reading the story of Jonathan Edwards' famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And they say that when he preached that sermon, it was like he was dangling people over the precipice of hell and the flames of fire were burning. He made it so that people passed out during the service. So this will be a message that will be so powerful if nothing else happened, you couldn't resist the impact of it. And not only will the power be in their preaching, but the power will be in their plagues. It says in verse 5, if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. The Bible says when people come after these two witnesses, they won't be able to get close to them to hurt them because out of their mouth will be the fire of God. 
they will be invincible until their work is done. And then there's the plague of the drought. Scripture describes these witnesses in verse 6 like this. They have the power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. The drought in Israel, the lack of water, will last three and a half years, and it will be the longest period on the earth without rain ever experienced. The years of this drought coincide with the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Both the preaching of the witnesses and their miracle-working power seem to keep the Antichrist at bay somewhat until the middle of the tribulation when he breaks the covenant with Israel that he makes, and then all hell breaks loose on the earth. And then there's the plague of disease. Just as Moses did during his confrontation with Pharaoh of Egypt, the two witnesses will, according to verse 6, have power over waters to turn them to blood. Thus, Sephora's experience in turning on the tap that morning to make her coffee and dropping the coffee urn out of the shock of the awful sight that she sees. We must remember, men and women, that the two witnesses are not doing this out of spite. This is not being done out of revenge. This is not vindictiveness. Their intent is to awaken the people of the tribulation to their sinfulness and move them to repentance and belief. And then the Bible tells us that in the midst of all of this, they suffer persecution. Verse 7 says, When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. So we notice, first of all, the death of the two witnesses. At the midpoint of the tribulation, when the two witnesses have completed God's mission, the beast or the Antichrist will break his treaty with Israel and assassinate the two witnesses, and their murder will be his first celebrated act and gain him a large following. The death of the witnesses. Then notice the display of their bodies in verses 8 and 9. Back in ancient times, if a person were killed in the daytime, it was required that he be buried the same day. That was all about cultural things and also to keep disease from spreading, but it was commonly held that even the worst criminal would be buried on the day that he died. But Scripture says of the witnesses in verse 8, their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Revelation goes on to say that those from the people's tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. Years ago, people would ridicule this verse that everybody would watch this event in Israel. Nobody thinks that way anymore. I believe with all my heart that everybody in the world will watch the assassination of the two witnesses because all that's going on in Israel and the two witnesses and the judgments and all of that have worldwide impact. And on that day, it will be very, very quickly understood that a major, major world event is happening in Jerusalem. And I believe people will be walking around with their cell phones in front of them watching the assassination of these two men and the things that happen afterwards. And they will see up close pictures of the dead bodies lying in the street in Jerusalem. And then the Bible tells us that the people in Israel will turn the killing of the two witnesses into a Christmas-like atmosphere. This is quite amazing. Look at verse 10. Those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. 
There will be such joy that these two witnesses, that Moses and Elijah have been taken out and they're no longer there, there will be such joy, the Bible says, they will have a Christmas party on the whole earth. And people will literally go out and buy gifts for each other and bring the gifts like we do at Christmas time and exchange them in a celebration of the death and assassination and disappearance of the two witnesses of the tribulation period. By the way, this is the only rejoicing on earth during the entire tribulation period. There is no other place in the tribulation where anybody rejoices, and they rejoice here for all the wrong reasons, because the messengers of heaven have been killed. How many of you know that sometimes it's not the messenger that you don't like, it's the message, but you can't get rid of the message, so you've got to kill the messenger? And that's what this was all about. Kill the messengers and cut off the message. We're tired of hearing about repentance. We're tired of being told about our sin. We're tired of being told that we're going to judgment if we don't repent. Get rid of the messenger and maybe we can shut down the message. And then the Bible tells us of their preservation. Revelation 11, 11 says, after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered the two witnesses and they stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. The witnesses' death and public humiliation of their exposed corpses will not be the end of the story. Their corpses have laid in the street for three and a half days. At the end of the three and a half days, two miracles will occur. First of all, they are resurrected. The Bible says the breath of life from God will enter them. That's the same force that brought Jesus out of the grave at the resurrection. The breath of life from God will enter their bodies and they will stand up. And just as the whole earth will witness the death of these prophets, the whole earth will witness their return to life. As you can imagine, this event will generate an incredible amount of fear and dread for nothing like this will have ever happened before on planet earth. And then the Bible says, while they're watching their resurrection, immediately they witness their rapture. Verse 12 tells us of that moment. The Bible tells us that they hear a loud voice from heaven calling them up there. And the enemies watch as these two men they thought they have killed that have tormented them for three and a half years, these two men ascend in the cloud to heaven and they disappear and they're gone. One of the great commentators that I love, a more modern commentator in the New Testament, is a guy named John Phillips. And John Phillips writes this descriptive term about what happens here. He said, picture the scene the sun-drenched streets of Jerusalem. The holiday crowd has been flown in from the ends of the earth for a first-hand look at the corpses of these detested men. The troops in the beast uniform, the temple police, they are there, devilish men from every kingdom under heaven, come to dance and feast at the triumph of the beast. And then it happens. As the crowds strain at the police cordon to peer curiously at the two dead bodies, there comes a sudden change. Their color changes from cadaverous hue to the blooming rosy glow of youth. Their stiff limbs bend, they move. Oh, what a sight. They rise and the crowds fall to their knees. It's hard to imagine what that moment will be like. But all of the resistance and anger and vitriol and hatred toward these two men will crumble in that moment to the most abject fear that's ever entered into the heart of any human being. And then their revenge. Verse 13 says, all of Jerusalem witnesses the rapture 
and a great earthquake begins to shake the city. And the language describing the death of the people in Jerusalem is interesting. First of all, we're told that one-tenth of the city will be destroyed and 7,000 people will die immediately in that moment right after the rapture of the two witnesses. And the scripture uses a special term to describe these people. The original text actually reads men of name instead of people. And as the dramatization at the beginning of the sermon shows, the 7,000 men may not be just ordinary men, but they will be the leaders, the well-known individuals. They will be the men of name who are destroyed immediately after the rapture. And the great joy the world expressed at the death of the two witnesses will become smothered by great fear. We will never in our best days be able to imagine or describe the drama and horror of that moment. And as you know, as you followed in chapter 11 of Revelation, I didn't make any of this up. I just brought it into our culture today. This is what will happen. So as we close our Bibles, what do we take away from this? Well, I've already mentioned one thing. First of all, that the God we serve, the God we love, never gives up on anybody. I hear people all the time say, when is God going to turn his back on this nation? When is God going to give up on America? Could I say something to you? God will never give up on America. He never will. He may judge America. He may let us see the fruit of our own wickedness. But in terms of the individuals who live in this great nation, God will never give up on any. It will always be God's purpose to woo the people of this earth to himself. What an encouragement that is to those of us who pray incessantly for somebody that we think maybe God's given up on. I want to tell you today, listen to me carefully, God doesn't give up on anybody. No matter what they've done or who they are, how far away they've strayed from his presence, in the midst of the darkest day of deserved judgment on this earth, Almighty God sends not just anybody, he sends Elijah and Moses to this earth to remind the people once more, I love you, I want you to repent, I want you to come to me, I don't want you to face this judgment, I don't want you to be in hell forever. That's the heart of Almighty God. Can I get a witness? Isn't that who God is? And that's what we see in this story. Obviously, the second thing we see is that in the midst of sinful conduct and rejection of God, what God needs more than anything else is he needs some witnesses. I need to be a better witness. We need to be better witnesses. Witnesses are not just, you know, telling people the gospel, but constantly being used of God to remind people of who God is and telling them about the Lord Jesus and directing the conversation away from all things on this earth and directing the conversation to God. How many of you know that we could all take a lesson from these two men who stood strong in the midst of all the persecution and witnessed for God? I believe these two men teach us that when we do that, God will protect us. I have written in the flyleaf of one of my Bibles this term, God's man in the center of God's will is immortal until God is finished with him. That also is good for you, ladies. God's woman in the center of God's will is immortal until God is finished with her. This goes back in my life to a time when as a young pastor and I would start to travel, I had some anxiety issues about leaving my young family and my wife. Get on an airplane and feel this anxiety just kind of take over me. One day a friend of mine gave me that little statement. He said, Jeremiah, 
I want to tell you something. I believe with all my heart that God's man in the center of God's will is immortal until God is finished with him. That means if you stay in the will of God, God will protect you as he did these two witnesses until their mission was accomplished. You don't have to witness. You don't have to preach in fear. You don't have to wonder what people are going to say. Do what God has called you to do and believe that God will take care of you in the process of doing it. Now, that does not mean we should be presumptuous. Some people will hear this and say, well, I can jump out of an airplane without a parachute and God will take care of me, you know. J. Vernon McGee tells the story of a man who came to him one day in his church up in L.A. and he said to him, Pastor McGee, I believe so much in the sovereignty of God that if my time has not come, I can walk out into the intersection down here below our church at 12 noon and stand in the middle of the intersection and I will not be harmed. And J. Vernon McGee, in his wonderful way, looked the man in the eye and he said, if you walk out into the intersection tomorrow at noon, I promise you, your time has come. (laughs) Yeah, your time has come. So I'm not saying that we should be frivolous about this or walk around saying, I'm Superman, nobody can touch me. What I am saying is that men and women, we don't have to do ministry, even in these fearful days, with the spirit of fear. If God has called us, if he's put us in a place of influence, if he's given us a message, if he's called us to be a witness, we can stand up and be counted, do what God calls you to do, and be reminded that he's promised to be with you wherever you go. No, we're not in the tribulation. We're not probably even on the edge of it. But I'll tell you one thing, we're closer than when we believed. And these things that are happening in our world today ought to be kind of jogging our thought process that whatever we're going to do for God, we better be doing it whatever praying we need to do, whatever people we need to share the gospel with, whatever ministry we need to do, we should not be thinking that we have forever to do it. We live in perilous times, and God is with us. And I believe he's put us on this earth for such a time as this. There's no better time to be a witness for Christ than right now. One of these days in the tribulation, there'll be two witnesses and then a lot more in the 144,000. But God has given to us in this age of grace all of these opportunities to hear his voice, to follow his direction, to bow our knee before him in salvation. And let's not take for granted that we live in such a time. Let's make sure we do what God is calling us to do now while the opportunity is extended to us. And as Christians, men and women, let's be strong in our witness. Let's stand up tall knowing that it's not just us. It's us empowered by Almighty God to be a witness in a declining culture that used to be a Christian nation but is now fast falling from it. I want to have the same confidence and the same witness that Elijah and Moses had and will have in the tribulation. And I pray that you feel the same way in your heart. Amen. Amen. Well, tomorrow we're going to talk about the dragon. You know, the Bible um, speaks of Satan from the beginning of the book of Genesis all the way to the end of the book of Revelation. And in the 12th chapter of Revelation, we meet Satan introduced to us as the dragon. And uh, we're going to learn the role that he has during the tribulation period to bring death and disease and sadness to the earth. But the good news is you don't have to be a part of that. You can overcome uh, all of that by putting your trust in Jesus Christ. And if you know Jesus Christ, you will never experience 
the deeds of the dragon during the tribulation period. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. Before we say our final goodbye, let me just remind you again that Alaska is looming on the horizon, and we would love for you to come with us. Um, many of us have just been looking for someplace to go, something to do, uh, to get away from all that is normal, and Alaska is the perfect place. Beautiful weather, beautiful scenery, beautiful experiences, teaching of the Word of God, great music, unbelievable beauty on the ship, good friends, good fellowship, and um, you can be a part of it. Go to our website, davidjeremiah.org. All the information you need is there. You can actually download the brochure that tells you everything about the cruise to Alaska. The dates are July 16th through the 23rd. I want to personally invite you to come and go with us. Make sure you get the information and get registered right away. Well, we'll see you tomorrow for part one of the message we've called The Dragon, right here on Turning Point. The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church, where Dr. David Jeremiah serves as senior pastor. How is God blessing you with this ministry? Write us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, After the Rapture, An End Times Guide to Survival, which answers the question, what's next? It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries and instantly access our content. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series Signs right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you're ready to go deeper in your Bible study, Living the 66 Books of the Bible by Dr. David Jeremiah will help. You'll learn how to identify each book's purpose, theme, challenge, verse, and prayer. And it's yours with a donation of any amount to Turning Point this month. And if you give $60 or more, you'll also receive the first volume of this series and a Genesis through Revelation DVD. To learn more, visit davidjeremiah.ca. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society. 
There seems to be agreement from everyone, especially those who do the grocery shopping, that the price of food keeps going up. But there is one kind of food that is critical to mental health, yet remains at the same price it's always been. And that food is food for thought. We are free to think about whatever we want. The psalmist in the Old Testament talked about meditating on God's Word day and night. And the Apostle Paul recommended thinking about things that are true, pure, lovely, and virtuous. Doesn't happen naturally. We have to pursue those thoughts and take them with us. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's Food for Thought on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.